That's great. Well, I wanted to ask you um, about a little bit about your mental illness journey. And the first thing I wanted to ask is, okay, hold on. I'm going to rephrase that because that was like a really <laughs> long-winded way to ask a question. So I'm going to start over. Hold on. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> 35-year-old Melody was diagnosed with bipolar disorder with hypomania when she was in her 20s. According to health.harvard.edu, hypomania occurs when an individual goes at least four days with a few of several symptoms, including a decreased need for sleep, excessive talkativeness, agitation, racing thoughts, and more. On this episode, Melody talks about what it is like living with this disorder and what she is doing to help overcome the stigma of mental illness. My name is Katie Houston Davies, and this is Mental Illness and Me. Um, First and foremost, I guess my name is Melody. I am 35 years old, born and raised in Santa Barbara, California, and at the heart of my identity, I think I would describe myself as a Chicana, Um, born in the U.S., but both my parents are Mexican, and I've always felt very close to my roots. Um, As I've gotten older, I've definitely discovered more and more what that really means, not just the color of my skin or the country where my parents are from, but it's definitely become a mindset as well. Um, Beyond that, gosh, I'm a huge animal lover. If if I could, I'd own a farm (laughs) with all the animals possible. I am very family oriented. I I love my siblings. I'm the oldest of five, so I very much have that motherly kind of all-encompassing I need to be in your business but also trying to give you space to live your life it's a really (laughs) hard balance and gosh uh, since working from home I've discovered that I'm actually a pretty good cook so I I love to get in the kitchen and it's um, almost therapeutic in a way to just create something Uh, you know there's there's recipes that I try to follow but then I think oh I want to throw this in there so I kind of look forward to cooking now. Um, I, I didn't ever realize that'd be something I'd get into. But Oh my gosh, yeah. that is a skill that I do not possess. I will tell you that right now. <laughs> oh. Like I can't, I can't improvise. It's just, it scares the heck out of me. <laughs> yeah. So do you use your cooking skills to kind of get back in touch with your roots? And do you cook a lot of Mexican food? You know, surprisingly, I've I haven't, but just the other day I I went to Rancho Market, which is uh, a lot more kind of um, Hispanic, Mexican type of ingredients and and a lot more, a variety than what you could get, you know, Walmart or or Smith's. And um, for example, I went across the produce aisle and I saw cactus, um, you know, they're not leaves, but whatever they're called. um, And in Spanish, it's nopales. And I, I just, I was transported to when I was younger and, you know, my grandma and my tias would make nopales con huevo, which is just chopped up cactus with eggs and some veggies. And I thought, oh my goodness, I have never tried to make cactus and eggs. So I I bought some. I haven't yet allowed myself to, because it's almost too nostalgic. I just kind of have them there on my counter. But um, I'm I'm definitely wanting to get more into the traditional recipes that I grew up with. Yeah. What an honor to attribute to your parents and grandparents. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of cool. It was just it was, you know, those kinds of things aren't planned. You don't anticipate them. I I just, you know, I was in the grocery store and I was all of a sudden eight years old and my grandma was cooking for me. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I'm fascinated with culture. I love 
I love learning about I, people who grew up in homes that had two cultures. I always thought that was the coolest thing ever, especially <laughs> after living in Brazil, you know, for a year and a half and just that's right. seeing yeah. your eyes can be open so much to like so many good people that otherwise you couldn't get to know because of a language barrier. And that's such a tragedy mm-hmm. to me, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so Melody, how long have you struggled with mental illness? So gosh, I would estimate um, my, my, I would say primary diagnosis is bipolar with hypomania. Um, and that I would estimate manifested in my early 20s. But of course, being in major denial combined with my level of stubbornness, um, that kind of led me away from actively seeking the help that I would have needed. So, you know, I, I can think back and, you know, during my college years where I would have these really high days of go, 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 and you need to get this and this and this done. And I wouldn't sleep or I'd hardly sleep, but I was so productive. And then, of course, when that energy wore off, I'd have a few days of just, I don't want to do anything. I want nothing to do with no one. I was just so moody and irritable. And everybody just kind of coined it to, well, that's her personality. (laughs) Um, And maybe part of it was, I, you know, I, I won't say that I, I'm not accountable for you know my behavior or actions, but you know looking back, I'm just I'm astounded at you know all the little signs that were there. No, I think it's really important to take apart take that apart a little bit, so that you don't feel like you're defined by the mental illness. That it's mm-hmm. not who you are. So I think that you know, of course, I also believe in personal accountability, but you do have to give yourself you know that that credit that hey this isn't me. There's something more at play here. You know, I'm not a lazy person. I'm not somebody who doesn't want to go out and do things, but I can't seem to, to muster up the strength to do it. Precisely. Now, is that what, there was another mental illness that you had mentioned to me. What was the other diagnosis that you received? So I've also been diagnosed officially with PTSD and generalized anxiety. That diagnosis was back in gosh I want to say summer of 2012 whereas my diagnosis with bipolar and then specifically I have I can never pronounce it trichotillomania something rather where the picking um people can pick or they uh, my thing was that I pick my I pick out my hair just in random spots right Um, and with that I've only ever really had probably three or four just really bad cases where um, actually earlier this year, I gave myself an undercut without actually meaning to. I just kept pulling and pulling my hair and I, half the time I didn't even realize it. And so, you know, that one was fairly easy to cover because I just wear my hair down or, you know, it just wasn't very visible. But I remember in previous years, uh, probably around my early to mid twenties where I'd have a few times and I all of a sudden would have a bald spot on the side of my head or on the top of my head. And those were harder to hide. Um, yeah. and I would just say, Oh, I'm, I just have a small bout of alopecia when really that wasn't the case, but I didn't know what else it was. I just thought I was crazy and out of my head, but it was, it was soothing. And so, yeah. you know, that repetitiveness just right. for whatever reason, it was, helping myself just soothe to a place of neutrality and okay, right. whatever it is that's stressing me out, I, I feel a little bit better. 
Right. Yeah. We, I've talked to two uh, women on the show who have VFRBs, but they have, they both had skin picking disorder and they said the same thing about the soothing. It's, it's a way to soothe anxiety. It's a way to Mm -hmm. find calm and peace. Um, But again, it's very, it's destructive, like you said, physically, and it, it can make it very complicated um, for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So what ways would you say that your mental illnesses have most impacted your life? Gosh, um, with the anxiety, for sure, I think that one definitely would be crippling at times. Uh, One of the earliest mm, situations that I remember was when I was, I was probably about 12 years old and I was invited to go to girls camp, right, that summer. Um, And I was already a pretty reserved kid as it was and just not very confident overall. I remember being the only you know, non-Caucasian girl uh, in my young women's group in Santa Barbara. And so I just, I wasn't really feeling going to girls camp, but I I was encouraged and I was pushed by my parents to, you know, try something new. And I was just like, I don't want to, I really don't want to. And so everything was set up. I, I had all my gear and, you know, I was packed, ready to go. And the morning of, I just remember having this huge you know now I know it's a breakdown but I just at the time I just threw a fit basically and I told my parents I'm not going and that's it you can't make me um and that obviously you know I I was I wouldn't say I was robbed of an opportunity because it was a decision I made and my parents um you know graciously let me stay home but when I went the following year I realized that I I missed out on a good opportunity to make new friends and it really wasn't that big of a deal um you know it was still kind of tough because i i'm i'm still shy and reserved at the core back in those years and yeah i mean that that social anxiety was real i just it was so overwhelming to think that i'd be gosh how big were those groups you know 50 60 girls um camping or in cabins or wherever it was that we were going and, you know, every year thereafter, I'd still kind of have those little minor panic attacks. But because I knew people and I, I was a little bit more familiar with what I was getting into, it wasn't as bad. But, yeah, that first year was was awful. Yeah. Facing the unknown and not know, like you just said, not knowing what's on the other side of whatever it is, mm-hmm. that can cause so much anxiety. I think a lot of um, younger kids face that going to school each new year yep. in the fall. Like it's just a lot of anxiety going back to school. I even feel that <laughs> sometimes, you know, and I've been teaching for years. Right. So what's interesting about what you said is that you said that you weren't diagnosed with anxiety disorder until your late twenties, you mm-hmm. said 2012. Mm-hmm. So, but you were dealing with it all the way from childhood. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, again, I just kind of chalked it up to, well, that's my personality and people just have to deal with it. Um, When really, I, I, I definitely projected a lot of my anxiety and securities, and it would come out as aggression, aggression, and just being very combative, especially with my parents, you know, and, and it, it just kind of fell into that group of, you know, the terrible teenage years. And um, it was interesting because outside of the home, I would just put on, I'd have this persona of 
perfection. I'd get A's in everything, uh, any sport or activity that I tried, I completely nailed. But of, of course, looking back now, I just, I was running myself to the ground because of that anxiety, trying to keep up with that perfection. And, you know, I'd come home and just completely decompress and let myself fall into that, you know, um, ball of anxiety that I'd been pushing aside all day long. And I remember just hours and hours before I could even fall asleep. And before I knew it, it was already five, six o'clock in the morning, time to go to school or seminary. Um, And that just, that was, yeah, I can't remember a time when I really ever let myself get a good night's sleep. I mean, yeah, it happened every once in a while. And um, sometimes I would sleep for hours on the weekend. That's all I would do unless, you know, of course I had soccer or whatnot, but right, the cycle of, Monday through Friday, school and soccer, um, you know, the melody version too. And then I come home, my home life was just so drastically different. And I'd, I'd never invite friends over because of that, um, because I knew it wasn't normal. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Yeah, Yeah, I think that um, it's really interesting to hear you say how it affected you, because I think about me with my anxiety growing up, Mm -hmm. and how it affected me. Um, It, I had similar feelings to you always wanting to do everything perfectly right and then when I'd come home it would manifest itself in like being extremely emotional like crying all the time and um being extremely insecure and I remember being pretty combative with my siblings Mm -hmm. too like it it's I'm kind of like looking back now and realizing that that was probably a part of the anxiety that I was feeling is you know my sister and I Christina (laughs) we fought a lot I mean we joke about it now because we're such good friends now but I bet a lot of that I actually know a lot of that had to do with the anxiety that I was feeling and so yeah that's a really really good point Mm -hmm. a lot of times it comes up comes out as aggression and I I feel so sad hearing about how you couldn't sleep though that's never something I've dealt with but that's debilitating yeah and the other thing that I have to consider is that uh Aside from that, even when I did sleep, I never actively rested because um, so my father has sleep apnea and then his mother also had sleep apnea. And I didn't know it at the time. But I mean, even when I did get a you know good night's sleep, meaning the seven, eight hours that's recommended, I never felt ever rested. And again, I just kind of chalked that up to the anxiety and well, OK, whatever, I guess <laughs> um, uh... it is what it is. Maybe one day I'll. I'll get to rest. And that's, that's kind of been like a running joke that I've had is uh, one day I'll get to rest. I don't know when that is, but I look forward to the day. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So just, you know, the anxiety constantly being tired. Um, it definitely affected my memory. I would constantly overbook myself, you know, um, especially more in my twenties and now thirties, I still struggle with that. So, you know, I, I try to combat that with having a million wall calendars and, Um, I got an Apple watch and I have an iPhone and, you know, Siri is my best friend, um, to keep things together. Cause I, you know, if, if somebody tells me something and I say, oh yeah, that sounds good. Let's do it. It's just in one ear out the other, unless I, um, put it into a voice reminder or some kind of notebook or planner. Wow. And do you think that's related to the, um, because your mind is constantly working on other things while you're listening to other people or what do you think it is that causes that or the sleep deprivation you know I I yeah it could be a um 
combination of things. It could be the sleep, the sleep apnea and just my brain not being 100%. It could be the anxiety because I'm thinking, of, I'm constantly thinking about 10 different things all at once. And I'm like, yeah, gosh, I, I really need to get a handle on this. It's not so much anymore. It, even though in terms of what I'm constantly thinking and worrying about, now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on a mood stabilizer and I'm taking, um, uh, I forget what it's called, but something for sleep. And that, I know that that's made a huge difference. And I got set up with, um, one of those mouth guards that mold, like you mold and you sleep with it. And that's, I mean, even just in a week of doing all of that or two weeks, whatever, I, my brain feels like it's gone from a highway of, 10 different intersections or whatnot to a controlled intersection with traffic lights. Like I can actually flow better with my thoughts and be able to tackle them a little bit easier. So it's definitely become a lot more manageable, but I just, I can't slow down my, my thought or sorry, I can't control the amount of thoughts or the number of thoughts I have at any given time, but I can kind of slow it down to a manageable pace, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's so amazing to me just talking about this because I uh, one time was diagnosed by a psychiatrist as having ADHD. But then Mm -hmm. when I went to get more specialized treatment for OCD, they said that oftentimes um, things like OCD and anxiety people who have that are often misdiagnosed as having ADHD when really it's a product of the anxiety, like you Mm -hmm. just described. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very like tricky place because I know there are people who have both, right? but there are some people who are misdiagnosed because their mind is just so busy thinking about things they're worried about, Mm -hmm. you know, like you said. And so then it's, it distracts them from other things. And so it's kind of like, it's interesting. And I, I don't know, I, I will be fascinated someday to understand <laughs> what the link is between all of these things, all of these mental illnesses that tend to run together and overlap and that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I'm i definitely not of the mindset that there's just one diagnosis. I think there are, you know, things happening well beyond the surface, you know, brain chemistry and at a cellular level you know, our, our bodies are meant to be these perfect machines, yet we combat all of these different illnesses. You know, why is that? And at the end of the day, we're all just human. We all struggle with it in one capacity or to some degree. And, you know, it's just a matter of finding the the tailored um, treatment for, for what you need. Right, right. So, is there a cultural aspect at all, like to talking about mental illness? Absolutely. Yes. And I'm, I'm more than happy to talk about that because that's also something I'm very passionate about. Um, so my experience, uh, you know, mental illness has, as, as far as I can recall, you know, um, remember how I mentioned about, oh, that's just her personality. That's just how she is. That's the same thing that people would say about my grandfather, my mom's father, Um, He definitely had major depression and, you know, schizophrenia to a T, but he was never officially diagnosed. And, you know, I just can't imagine his, you know, loneliness and just suffering by himself. Um, Culturally speaking, my kind of, I don't know if I was conditioned, you know, I'm not putting blame on any one person or anything like that, but I, you know, we're somehow conditioned to think... If you work hard, 
you do what you need to do, you'll be just fine. You know, as, as long as you can walk and talk and work, there's nothing wrong with you. Um, that is a, a very invalid and dismissive mentality. And unfortunately, you know, I'm not the only one that kind of um, subconsciously or, or by your environment have been taught to kind of believe that, yeah, okay, I can still go to school, I can still play sports, I can still work a part-time job. Maybe there really isn't anything with me. So you dismiss that and you dismiss that and it becomes denial, but it also becomes very lonely. And all of a sudden you do start to question, maybe there really is something wrong with me, but why why am I still able to do X, Y, Z? Um, you know, that's just because the human soul is very resilient, but, you know, we, we shouldn't ignore the fact that there is something real happening and it needs attention. Our bodies literally scream at us when something is wrong, whether it's anxiety or, you know, any other kind of physical ailment. And so right. it's, it's interesting. I, I do recognize where my culture and, and just kind of those preconceived dismissive notions, um, they definitely played a big part. I never sought help until I was, what, 2012? I was 25, 26, 27-ish. Um, but I've always known that there was something off. For me, I just didn't, I didn't put it together, really. Like you said, you just, you don't want to believe that you are in need mm -hmm. of something external like medication or therapy right and I never really put the pieces together until I was in my 20s and my early 20s though and I often think about the time I lost because I spent so much time beating myself up because I you know wasn't achieving what I thought was a standard of perfection and that was all within me too my right. my parents weren't expecting that of me I had a very high standard that I had somehow set for myself and I think about all that time wasted, but I mean, you know, it's not wasted if we take what we've learned now moving forward and then use it to try to help other people get the, the help that they need earlier than what we did, you know? Absolutely. I agree. Yeah, that is really interesting. And I think it's, it's really cool to see uh, what we want is for every generation to become better than the one previous to it. And mm -hmm. I think that it's cool to see how you're working to break that um, stigma, you know, it, for your culture, as well as for both of your cultures, because you have two, right. you know, exactly. Can you describe some of the feelings that you've had, specifically as you've battled with bipolar disorder? Yeah. Um, Gosh, I think the first one that I would say was very prevalent was anger, um, really in the sense of, you know, the, the typical, why is this happening to me? You know, what, what did I do to deserve this, whatever this is? Um, you know, denial definitely plays a strong part, which leads to, you know, hopelessness, being, feeling very powerless. Uh, you, you know, well, this is the way it is. And I, I really can't do anything about it. Um, I can't ask anybody for help because nobody likes to hear about this kind of thing. So I'm just going to keep it to myself and do what I need to do. Keep your head down. Don't rock the boat, um, which is a very lonely way to live. And, you know, looking back, I was never alone per se. You know, I, I excelled in, in academics. I excelled in soccer. 
and I was never alone. I was always surrounded by great people, but I felt very alone in terms of nobody else is dealing with this. Why do I have to? Um, I'd just be really angry all the time. And I never manifested that outside of the home, but you know, at home it was just picking fights with everyone. And you know, that wasn't healthy either. And of course, nobody ever understood why. <laughs> I never understood why it never made any sense to me. I just remember being angry and I could almost literally feel my blood boil um, on a few occasions where I just, I was like, I can't take anymore. This is just, this is ridiculous. Um, and it just, it got so overwhelming that I remember one time when I was 14, uh, I had, you know, just picked a fight with my mom. I feel like she was the, the number one target, unfortunately. And um, I remember going upstairs and I just, I was so angry that I kicked my, the, my bed and I hit the bed frame and cracked that wooden bed frame. And of course it, I hurt my ankle and I couldn't play soccer for a few weeks. And that of course made oh. me more upset because that was kind of my, my outlet, you know, for physical, uh, my physical outlet to, to release some of that stress and tension. And that must be hard too, as a kid to not feel like you are in control of mm -hmm. it. I think nobody likes to feel like they're out of control and with mental illness, so much of what you think and feel is irrational exactly. and it is not something that you can just wish away, you know? So the, um, you said the bipolar disorder had, has a hypo, what was it you said at the beginning? Hypomania. So really what that means, at least from what my psychiatrist explained is that I have the really high highs, but then because of that, I, I go back to kind of like this neutral baseline. I'm not in a depressed state, but because of that, really, I just came off of a big high and go, go, go. I, it's a dip. So it's a dip back to being neutral, but that neutral is just, I don't want to do anything. I'm just completely shut off from the world. So it's not a manic depressive episode. No, it's just a very big contrast to your normal Correct. life. Yes, that's exactly right. And that's always why oh. I never considered that I did, you know, battle with bipolar because you hear of the, I have a couple cousins who do have the manic depressive where it's just like they, they are on these highs for like weeks at a time and then they dip and get really depressed and just shut out everything like to an extreme for a couple weeks and we don't hear from them and then it's back at it again and I mean that's a bigger cycle and a bigger yes. um, contrast mine is just more you know level 10 and then I'm back to like level three and I don't dip below yeah. that typically I don't but I have had a few occasions where I I just I break down and I've, I've had a, a few panic attacks um that were pretty bad right but, you know that's far and few in between Right. So since you've gotten help, um, which it sounds like it's been about 10 years now, what have you found that has helped you most in your battle to overcome? I, I guess I shouldn't say overcome, but to manage your mental illnesses, because we all know that mental illness isn't something you can just cure. Exactly. Right. It's something that is an ongoing struggle. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so um, growing up, I had soccer. That was a great um, outlet for me. And you know, I, when I moved to Utah, I just kind of cold turkey stopped soccer or anything sports or active because, um, well, I just did. I don't know why. I guess, again, facing the unknown, I don't know anybody here. So I'm just going to, 
stick with family and keep to myself. And that was a big mistake. I think that just kind of started the, this, um, path that took a couple years. And I just, I dipped for a little while. I had, I had to take a short leave of absence, um, because I was just really low and depressed and, you know, the anxiety was just at an ultimate high. Um, but I mean, beyond that, I think physical exercise, I've come to appreciate that a lot more now. Um, I recently got into spin class and that's been amazing for me. I, I yeah. can definitely tell the difference from the days that I go and the days that I don't. And it's just, I, I don't, you know, chemically in, in the brain, something happens, obviously all those you know, endorphins and serotonin levels. And I don't know all the technical terms, but there, there is something, there's a correlation between physical exercise and your brain just, you know, being happy and kind of feeling that high in exercise where you're just like so empowered. And it's, it's actually my very first, and I would say probably my second spin class were almost a spiritual experience. Um, because, you know, the instructor is there to push you and, and to do more and to turn up the resistance or pedal, you know, your fastest, you, you can do it, you can do it. And I'm like, holy crap, I'm so tired. What do you mean I, you, I can do it? And uh, you do, you just, you, you somehow find the will to push more. And when you get over that, you're like, oh, yeah, I totally just did that or I nailed that. Um, and it's very, it's very empowering. It's very cathartic. And it was almost spiritual. I just had this connection with, you know, everybody else in the, in the class and just the room and the energy was, it was just perfect. That is so cool. I've actually been to, I think a spin class once or twice when I was in Santa Barbara, mm -hmm. I just went with my sisters and it was such an exhilarating experience. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't stick with it long enough and you know, I, someday I, it would be really cool to try it again, mm -hmm. but yeah, with the music and then you're pushing and, and it's kind of nice cause you're going at your own level of resistance exactly. as opposed to somebody else. And, mm -hmm. and you can't really you're not watching what other people are doing. And so it's sort of a personal experience too. So Absolutely. yeah, but you're right. It does something from a physical activity, being outside, moving your body. It really does make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's another thing that's important to me is, is music. Um, I, I definitely throw myself into playlists just depending on the, on what mood or the energy I've got. And you know, the combination of music with spin class, it was just a perfect combination. And it's, um, I love it. I, I, I'm going to continue to go and, um, yeah, it's, it's been really good for me. Cooking, uh, has also been a really good outlet for me, just being creative, creating something myself. And, you know, we live in an age where, um, technology is just very prevalent. I mean, I could look up whatever I want almost on, you know, YouTube or ask Google and it's there. That's how I found a lot of my recipes that I cook. And I'm like, Oh yeah, now I know how I can make it even better. I want to do this next time. And I, you know, kind of that exciting, like I'm looking forward to do this next. That is awesome. Creativity. That's such a good point. Creating something mm -hmm. that, you know, when we create things, it brings so much satisfaction and, and joy and also just a sense of um, self self-worth and self-pride. I, I, that's really cool. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your own efforts with mental advocacy. So I think really the fact that 
it makes people uncomfortable to talk or hear about mental health is the exact reason why we should talk about it more and just that the repetition and the exposure to mental health, you know, in general, but then you break it down into the wild variety that, you know, is available. I think it's overwhelming, but at the same time, it's so personal. Um, you know, I, I'm officially diagnosed, you know, bipolar with hypomania, but then the next person after me with that same diagnosis, their experience is going to be completely different. So, you know, I, I don't, I want to bring light and awareness to the fact that even though you're you're struggling with whatever it is that you're struggling and have on your plate, it's it's going to be different. And just because others are out there struggling with something similar doesn't make your situation any less worthy of talking about or, you know, being loved. I think a lot of us, um, well, in my experience anyways, I I talked myself out of so many opportunities and situations simply because I felt worthless. Um, I'm just another outcast. And why should I even bother to try um, whatever it is? I, you know, out of high school, I had a couple of offers to take a scholarship and play soccer outside of the state. And I didn't do it because of you know, it could have been the bipolar that was starting to manifest. It could have been my anxiety. It could have been everything. And, you know, I think not to say I'm not grateful for the experiences I've had since, but it, it definitely put a lot of hurdles and blocks that I just, you know, I put myself, all right, I didn't, how would I say this? I didn't take any effort to even find out that I had other options. I just completely de denied myself opportunities to go to college outside of state or to travel and do this because of my anxiety or, you know, oh my goodness, where am I going to sleep? Am I going to be able to sleep? Am I going to be able to decompress without somebody seeing me completely fall apart and break down? Um, so, you know, a lot of that, I think, um, I don't know if I would have avoided those things that I was so afraid of, but I, it would have been nice to, you know, give myself an opportunity to try. So what is it that you are doing now? Tell us about it. I'm wanting to launch my own podcast. Um, and for that, I, I'm still kind of figuring out really what I'd like my, I don't want to say platform, because that just sounds so vague or exclusive. But um, I'm still trying to figure out what I'd like to bring to the table. I know mental health is going to be a pretty big thing. But I also want to kind of have it be like this round table, so to speak, where I can, I'd love to bring co-hosts and guests to talk about different topics, even if they're different from my own perspective, because again, with the exposure and trying to break through those stigmas and, and barriers of culture and religion and, you know, whatever it is that um, anybody could see as, as barriers or hurdles, I'd love to just openly discuss a wild variety of topics and just, you know, have other people listen in because it's a safe, I think podcasts are kind of the safe space. This past year has been a lot of self-discovery and now I'm, you know, I'm thinking about launching it or I'm going to launch a podcast. I'm thinking about writing a book this year and just 
throwing everything that I can out into the universe and, you know, making it as available as possible for others to participate and to, you know, take away something, even if it's not for yourself, guaranteed you have a loved one or a family member or a friend that can benefit from this. I feel like sometimes we go to college and we think that that's like, we're determining our destiny Mm -hmm. at that moment. (laughs) It's like whatever we major in or whatever, that's going to determine who we are for the rest of our lives. And we forget that we continue to develop and grow constantly. And like, you could have probably never pictured 10 years ago when you were in, or however long ago you were in college, you could have never pictured that this would be where you were, you know, like thinking about doing a podcast, doing a book or you know, and it's just so cool to see that the potential mm-hmm. for us as human beings is endless. And that is in spite of, like you said, in spite of struggling with physical or mental illnesses, we have so much potential as humans. And it's really exciting and empowering. Probably my biggest takeaway is that I've had this potential all along. I, I've had a, one of my first therapists said, I'm not here to fix you or fix your problems or your insecurities. You already have all the answers. I'm just trying to help you navigate to them. And I just thought, wow, mind blown. And just very, you know, we, we oftentimes I think feel like we've lost control and that might be true temporarily, but we can always come back to our center. We have all the answers. We have all the tools and the resources. We just forget that we do. That is beautiful. I'm really glad you shared that about Mm -hmm. what your therapist said. I've never quite heard it put that way Mm -hmm. because I think that a lot of us feel like we need fixing. (laughs) Like fix me, I'm broken. No, you're not broken, but you need to learn how to navigate your way through this life that's a little bit different maybe than your neighbor. You know, that's, that's really cool. And I I just have to say, you do such a good job. You're very eloquent in stating your thoughts and your feelings. And, you know, I've talked to (laughs) a lot of people in my life, you know, and there, there are definitely people who stand out as having a gift for being able to use words to portray a message that's really important. You'll have to keep me posted on that for sure. Is there anything else that you want to share, um, about what you wish others would understand about mental health? Um, at the end of the day, we're, we're human beings. Um, I, I definitely have, I don't know if it's an official term, but I just call it the wonder woman complex where I want to be available for everybody. And I want to be the number one, you know, reliable person. You can count on me. I'll take care of it. But if you think about it, that is absolutely draining and you leave no time for yourself. So um, I've often been reminded by my loved ones to, you know, as great as it is, you play the role well as Wonder Woman, but you're still human. So allow yourself to feel human. Allow yourself to cry and be emotional and hold yourself up for you know, what we call and joke about is mental health days because we need it. We need to decompress. We, and there's nothing wrong with that. 